well-regulated militia being necessary to the security of a free state. The right of the people to keep and bear arms shall not be infringed. Welcome to another edition of Bearing Arms, Cam and Company. My name is Cam Edwards. And uh, I know that I said yesterday that uh, Mark Pinnock of Maryland shall issue is going to be with us on the program today. Having a little trouble connecting with Mark, so uh, we'll try to get him on the show next week. I'll let you know who uh, Monday's guest is going to be a little bit later on in the uh, program. But today we're going to be talking about what's going on in New York. You know, there are uh, more than a half dozen lawsuits uh, taking on various aspects of the Concealed Carry Improvement Act. Yeah. And as we uh, talked about at Bearing Arms uh, on Thursday morning, uh, Stephen Agrelli, the superintendent of the New York State Police, admitted yesterday that since the CCIA has gone into effect in September, now there was... You know, a couple of days where uh, a, a U.S. district judge had put some of these provisions on hold, but then the Second Circuit said, no, 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 we're not going to keep that stay in place. So as of right now, most of the provisions, most of the provisions of the Concealed Carry Improvement Act are still in place. And yet Stephen Agrelli says that there have been no arrests and no complaints uh, made to the New York State Police for uh, alleged violations of the Concealed Carry Improvement Act. Nobody calling to complain that uh, someone's carried a gun in this gun-free zone. That hasn't happened. Not to the New York State Police. Uh, Albany County uh, Sheriff says they've not received any complaints about violations of the CCIA either, which is interesting. Uh, perhaps evidence that, uh, you know, again, <clears throat> law-abiding gun owners aren't the problem. But uh, regardless of that, the gun control laws in New York pose a big problem to law-abiding gun owners. And so these legal challenges continue. And one of the cases that uh, uh, is uh, underway takes on the, uh, specifically the, um, uh, well, I shouldn't say one of the cases, uh, but one of the briefs that has been filed uh, in uh, one of these lawsuits takes on specifically the requirement that uh, concealed carry applicants submit a list of all of their social media accounts for uh, law enforcement to uh, to pour over and peruse through to uh, search for uh, evidence that uh, someone maybe not be of good moral character, things of that nature, right? Fascinating uh, a friend of the court brief filed on behalf of a number of Second Amendment organizations as well as a big First Amendment organization. The uh, Asian Pacific American Gun Owners Association the DC Project Foundation, the Liberal Gun Club, the National African American Gun Association, Operation Blazing Sword, Pink Pistols, and the Knight First Amendment Institute at Columbia University filing this brief in opposition to the social media mandate uh, in uh, federal court. I, and I got to say, the brief is it, its impressive on a couple of different levels. First, we'll, we'll get into the arguments in just a second. But the fact that you've got these disparate groups, uh, and in the case of the Knight Foundation, a group that, uh, frankly, doesn't mind a lot of gun control uh, laws coming together to challenge this provision. Um, I think it's a very good thing. Uh, as the uh, attorneys write, the amici are six organizations that are deeply troubled by the social media registration requirement in New York's Concealed Carry Improvement Act. This brief focuses only on that provision of the law. Indeed, the amici are divided about these states' other gun safety efforts, with perspectives ranging from fundamentally opposed to solidly in support. The amici are united, however, in the view that the CCIA's social media registration requirement imposes a significant and unjustified burden on individuals' First Amendment rights to free speech and association. 
So I got to say, first of all, kudos to the Knight Foundation. It would have been real easy for the Knight Foundation to say, listen, man, not our circus, not our monkey. We like these gun control laws. We're not getting involved. But they recognize that, all right, look, maybe they, maybe they are in favor of, you know, uh, these untold number of sensitive places where concealed carry can be banned. But if they have a problem with any component of the CCIA, I'm glad that they're speaking up and challenging it. And uh, maybe the exposure to groups like the Liberal Gun Club and uh, NAGA and DC Project and Pink Pistols and Blade Sword, maybe that will give those First Amendment advocates at the Knife Foundation a little more perspective on the importance of our Second Amendment right to keep and bear arms. Anyway, let's talk about the uh, arguments contained within this brief. Uh, and they lay out a number of arguments as to why this social media registration requirement is in fact uh, unconstitutional. First, that it chills the exercise of our First Amendment by compelling applicants to register their social media accounts with the state. Uh, burdens the right of applicants to speak anonymously and associate privately online. Uh, they say that the registration requirement simply violates the First Amendment, that uh, this is subject to heightened scrutiny, and the state has not shown that the registration requirement directly and materially advances its interests in preventing unlawful gun violence. They say that it is not narrowly tailored. Uh, again, this applies to virtually everybody who uh, is applying for a concealed carry license. Meanwhile, again, violent criminals aren't impacted by this, right? People illegally carrying a firearm aren't impacted by this. Um, and the brief makes, I think, a really good argument that, you know, gun owners should not have to worry about their personal opinions on any given subject. Uh, being a factor in whether or not they get to exercise a fundamental civil right, uh, as the amicus brief states. The social media registration requirement burdens well-established First Amendment rights in three ways. First, condition an applicant's ability to obtain a concealed carry permit on their willingness to register their social media accounts with the government. That burdens the applicant's rights of free speech and association. Second, compelling applicants to disclose their pseudonymous accounts including accounts that they might use to avoid harassment, embarrassment, or retaliation for their online speech, burdens the applicant's right to speak anonymously. And third, they say, requiring applicants to direct the state to information that may make it obvious what groups they belong to, what identities they hold, and what causes they support, burdens the applicant's right to associated privacy. You know, it, it is a, it's a valid point. Um, if you're applying for concealed carry license in New York City and you are a rock-ribbed conservative, <clears throat> might the NYPD Licensing Bureau cast a, a disparaging eye on some of your political opinions? I mean, I'd like to think that's not going to be the case, but it's possible. And if you are, let's say, an LGBT activist, uh, or maybe you are an outspoken progressive and you live in a conservative part of uh, upstate New York, is it reasonable to be concerned that maybe the issuing authority will take a look at your social media posts and say, ha, yeah, I think you're wacky. No, you don't get to own a gun. Again, I would like to think that that wouldn't be the case. But the law allows for that to happen. Uh, as the brief points out, they say a vast amount of information about an applicant can be gleaned from even the existence of a particular account, not to mention the applicant's posts, pictures, videos, likes, the list of people and groups that they follow, and their interactions with others. A past Facebook event may reveal that the applicant went to a Black Lives Matter protest in 2020, or a local candidate's rally in 2016, or that the applicant organized a fundraiser for or against abortion rights last spring. And depending on the social media account, this history of events attended, beliefs shared, and associations made 
could span a decade or longer. An applicant who created a Twitter account in 2008 would be enabling easy access to a 15-year history of tweets, retweets, replies, and likes. And the registration requirement is not limited to just one account. It extends to all social media accounts, no matter how niche the platform. An applicant's list of accounts could include accounts on major platforms like Facebook and Twitter, but also those on platforms like Goodreads, which allows users to share reviews of books they've read, and Caring Bridge, which allows users to document a health journey of any kind, diagnosis, injury, illness, pregnancy complications, or other experiences. This completely unlimited inquiry would almost certainly implicate relationships that could have no possible bearing on the state's interest in preventing gun violence. They note that the mere existence of an account on a particular platform can reveal information about the applicant's sexual practices. Again, dating apps. That's social media. So if you're on Tinder or you're on Grindr, you would technically have to submit that information to the state. And the brief says, as we explained, the applicant's chosen username itself could convey a message. Consider the handle Impeach Biden or F the police. They say, taken together, the information that the registration requirement makes available to the state may paint a picture of the applicant so detailed that even their dearest friends or family may not have the same insight as the state would. And the state will learn more uh, than just the applicant, or learn about more than just the applicant. It'll be reviewing information that implicates others as well. Multiple members of the uh, amicus, the liberal gun club, are concerned that the registration requirement were directly state to sensitive information, not just about themselves, including health and disability status, but also about others with whom they associate, including people who did not make the decision to apply for a concealed carry permit. Uh, it is, again, it's a very, very strong brief. This is challenging, I think, one of the most glaringly problematic parts of the Concealed Carry Improvement Act. Uh, and a district judge has put this provision on hold. So this brief is asking the Second Circuit Court of Appeals to keep that uh, lower ruling in place uh, and to preclude the state from requiring, again, that applicants for a concealed carry license and overall information, not passwords, but you got to share your accounts, right? You can find me on Facebook here. You can find me on Twitter here. Here's my uh, Bumble dating app profile. Again, what is the point of this to supposedly screen out those who might not have the good moral character to carry a firearm, right? But in doing so, as the uh, amicus writes, the government goes far beyond what is permissible and what is allowed. And again, this is an arbitrary requirement. It's an arbitrary determination as to whether or not a person possesses good moral character. As the amicus brief says, uh, the applicants, quote, are at the mercy of the whims and vast discretion of the licensing officer, which is something that the Supreme Court said is a no-go, right, under the Bruin test. Well, under the Bruin decision throwing out New York's may issue concealed carry laws and saying you can't do that. Shall issue is constitutional. May issue is not. And as the amicus brief makes clear, the social media requirement is simply a way to get around the shall issue mandate from the Supreme Court and allow those issuing authorities once again to have the subjective and arbitrary determination as to whether or not somebody gets to exercise a fundamental right. The amicus brief says, uh, what kind of post would make a licensing officer think the applicant didn't have the, quote, essential character, temperament, and judgment necessary to be entrusted with a weapon? Clear and direct threats of violence would almost certainly be red flags for the reviewer, but what about the frequent use of profanity? What about a proclamation that all cops are bastards, 
or that Black Lives Matter, evidence of an unorthodox sex life, photos of a prized collection of guns, and what acts or statements would, quote, suggest that the applicants are likely to engage in conduct that would result in harm to themselves or others. Video of the applicant playing shooter games like Call of Duty, uh, Call of Duty or Fortnite, posts about recovering from an eating disorder, pictures of the applicant boxing. Moreover, the amica says uh, applicants who frequently post criticism of law enforcement or differing views from licensing officers may have concerns about how that speech will be understood. For example, members of the Liberal Gun Club are particularly worried about retribution related to their political views, concerned that, the, that their support for opposition candidates or political organizations that challenge those in power will be used against them. And they write that applicants must also consider the risk that local officials will use their social media information for other purposes or fail to protect that information from hackers and other third parties. They note that although the government states that the applicant's social media information will be used only for a one-time check for the purposes of evaluating permanent applications, the state also um, says that uh, certain records of granted license applications will be retained in a statewide database to which, quote, local and state law enforcement shall have access in the performance of their duties. The brief notes that the law is silent on how long applicants' information can be retained or for what other purposes it may be used. Concerns related to future monitoring, they say, will deepen the ongoing chilling effect, deterring applicants from freely engaging in speech and association online. In fact, they cite a uh, member of the D.C. project who was so concerned about this that basically she stopped posting on social media and eventually decided against applying for a concealed carry license in New York because she was concerned that her past social media statements might be used against her. Um, we've got a link to the uh, brief at barryandarms.com. I would encourage you to uh, check out the uh, the entire brief. It's it's not one that's steeped in legalese. It's very easy to read. It's uh, about 25 or uh, a little bit longer than 25 pages, but uh, it's a fairly quick read. And again, I think it's a really important step here that you now have not just Second Amendment organizations, but even a First Amendment organization who maybe, who is, not maybe, who is in favor of some of the other aspects of the CCIA. Uh, sounding off in opposition to this First Amendment infringement uh, in the name of infringing on our Second Amendment rights. So uh, kudos to all of the groups for uh, coming together. It is nice to listen. Strange bedfellows, but, uh, you know, we need all the allies we can get right now. Uh, and that I think that includes those who may be with us on one position. Uh, as long as you're willing to stand with us uh, in opposition to this infringement, great. We can keep debating and keep arguing about the necessity or the need or the, even the constitutionality of some of these other provisions. But uh, the more the merrier when it comes to challenging uh, these infringements on our fundamental right to keep and bear arms. Now let's turn our attention to today's Armed citizen story, our good deed of the day, and our recidivist report. We'll start there with a uh, story out of... Washtenaw County, Michigan, uh, Ypsilanti. Uh, by the way, uh, Michigan lawmakers are pushing red flag laws. They're pushing for a ban on so-called assault weapons. They're, they're going hard after legal gun owners right now. Guys like uh, Eddie Naylor, eh, not so much. Man on probation uses gun to get free pop at Taco Bell drive through in Washtenaw County, police say. Officials say that Eddie Naylor wasn't allowed to have a gun due to his previous convictions. Yeah, a uh, conviction uh, convictions that include armed robbery. So apparently, what happened in this particular case, 
Um, according to police, Eddie Naylor uh, and a female companion uh, went to the drive-thru at Taco Bell. Taco Bell employee said that uh, Naylor had a gun in his lap uh, and basically uh, asked for a, a, a free soda because he said he noticed another person getting a free soda. And uh, nah, nah, didn't happen. Um, so police were called. Complaint says that uh, the Taco Bell worker uh, was just trying to get him out of there by giving him whatever he wanted. So gives him the free soda, goes on his way, call the police, uh, report the uh, description of the car. Uh, Washtenaw County officials uh, pulled over. A couple of deputies pulled over the car back on uh, December 14th while they were patrolling in Superior Township. Uh, did find the gun in the vehicle. Uh, eventually took Naylor into custody. Uh, and according to police, here's where we get into the uh, recidivist report. Um, the firearm requested, by the way, was stolen in uh, 2021. Naylor's not been charged with the theft of the firearm. But given that he is a convicted felon, he, he is being charged with that crime. But here's the thing. Um, according to Click on Detroit, Naylor's previous criminal history includes a no contest plea of armed robbery out of Washtenaw County on Valentine's Day, uh, a decade ago. He was sentenced to three and a half to 20 years in prison for that crime. He uh, served five. Not the bare minimum, but about, uh, what, tw- what was it? Uh, five years, 20, about 25% of the potential maximum sentence? Yeah. So he gets out 2018, if he served five years. And I guess he kept his nose out of trouble for a couple of years. Uh, but last September, less than a month, I mean, less than a year ago, less than heck, six months ago, September 28th, 2022, Naylor pleaded guilty in Washtenaw County to carrying a concealed weapon, as well as being a felon in possession of a firearm and felon in possession of ammunition. Now, in this case, Naylor was sentenced to two years of probation. Mm-hmm. So here you have a violent felon. Caught in the legal possession of a firearm, and he gets a slap on the wrist in state court. Yeah, two years probation. Now, under the gun control measures that Michigan Democrats are debating, you, as an otherwise law-abiding gun owner, <laughs> would be facing, uh, you know, prison time uh, for violating any of these new gun control laws. But if you again have lost your ability to possess a firearm because you committed a violent felony offense. And you get caught with a gun afterwards. Right now, in the state of Michigan, you can walk away with probation. And I guess Michigan Democrats want to keep it that way. Because instead, they're cracking down on law-abiding legal gun owners. Uh, Today's Armed Citizen story from Chicago. The uh, website CWB Chicago reporting on a concealed carry holder who detained a burglar at gunpoint in the uh, city's Wrigleyville neighborhood. Uh, 31-year-old Tyler Hamlin already had two active felony warrants out against him, and now he is facing another charge of a burglary of a habitation. According to CWB Chicago, the uh, concealed carry holder got a security alert showing that someone was on his porch with a flashlight about 8.30 Monday evening. The uh, homeowner went to his garage after the uh, uh, burglar walked out of the uh, range of the camera. Prosecutors say that uh, Hamlin was inside uh, the garage, having entered through an unlocked door. Homeowner warned Hamlin that he had a gun, ordered him to show his hands. Meanwhile, the homeowner's wife is on the phone with 911. 
Um, homeowner said the police were here in about 45 seconds and he couldn't get out of the garage. I was uh, standing in the door. 45 seconds. I got to say, that's that's an amazingly fast response time, uh, even in Chicago. So good for them. I guess officers were uh, nearby. Um, Hamlin's defense attorney says that uh, his client has a bachelor's degree in psychology and gender and women's studies from the University of uh, Illinois Champaign, but is currently unhoused and unemployed, which may say a lot about degrees in gender and women's studies. Uh, anyway, uh, Judge William Faye said that uh, Hamlin could be released on electronic monitoring without posting uh, cash bail in the burglary case, uh, but the judge did hold Hamlin without bail for an outstanding warrant in a criminal damage case for which he's on probation. Prosecutor said the criminal damage matter was initially charged as aggravated arson, but Hamlin again was allowed to plead that down. So the burglary, he could get out, but uh, I guess the uh, uh, he's behind bars for the time being and hopefully we'll get some help uh, with his uh, situation, I would. I'm, 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 listen, I'm always rooting for people to be able to turn their lives around. I know it doesn't happen all that often, but but I am rooting for uh, Tyler Hamlin to you know quit being arrested and accused of very serious crimes, and uh, hopefully this time around he get the help that he needs and maybe ready to help himself as well. Finally, today our uh, good deed of the day. From Ohio, where a 62-year-old woman is alive and well today, thanks to the help of her fellow gym members, who rushed to her aid after her heart stopped during a workout. This was uh, in Orville, Ohio. Linda Thompson was at uh, Tilson's Fitness Warehouse for an early morning uh, boot camp workout. It was about two weeks ago. And she said when she woke up, she was feeling a little off. Said, you know, just had low energy. But she thought, you know what? I'm going to power through. Uh, I'll feel better once I get there and I start working out. She said, looking back, there were warning signs she either didn't recognize or she chose to ignore. She said, my chest felt funny. Had a little bit of a warm feeling. My left arm felt kind of achy and tired. So as she's working out, she collapsed. Um, kind of tries to steady herself for a second and then just falls forward. She said, I started feeling dizzy. Everything just got foggy. That's the last thing I remember. Well, as soon as she collapsed, um, fellow gym goers rushed over and started trying to help. Ryan McAllister is a a former volunteer firefighter um, who does know CPR. And he also was aware that the gym had an automated uh, external defibrillator. He said, I could tell that she was in cardiac arrest and she needed to get CPR started right away. And we needed to get that AED pulled off the wall and get that set up right away, too. So two patrons of the gym, go bring the AED. They attach the pads around Thompson's heart and McAllister's continuing to do CPR. Um, it took one shock from the AED before Thompson's heart started beating again and she started breathing. McAllister said uh, she flinched and took a breath. It was amazing. Um, Linda Thompson, obviously, so she is very grateful that um, all those folks stepped in to help. She says it was very frightening. I'm just happy to be here. Uh, she says the experience has changed her life. And doctors aren't really sure why she went into cardiac arrest, but she has now had a pacemaker and a defibrillator implanted in her uh, chest. She says, that's the crazy part, just how close I came to not coming back out of this. And she says that uh, I'm just thanking God every day that I'm still here. And hopefully uh, thanking those gym patrons whenever you see them as well, Linda, right? In the right place, at the right time, willing and able to do the right thing. Uh, Ryan McAllister, uh, Melinda Budd, 
uh, and all of the uh, gym goers who are in the right place at the right time, willing and able to do the right thing to save a woman's life. We thank you for your very good deed. Now, that is going to do it for this edition of Bearing Arms, Cam and Company. I want to thank you as well for being a part of the program. We'll be back on Monday, and uh, hopefully next week we will be able to talk with Mark Pinnock of a Maryland Shell issue. There's still so much going on. We're covering it at BearingArms.com, though. I do want to let you know about that. Coming up on Monday, though, we're going to be talking with uh, Eric Delbert uh, out in uh, uh, Ohio um, from uh, LEPD Farms and Range about the attack on firearms preemption coming from uh, cities like Columbus and Cincinnati and what this could mean not only to gun owners in Ohio, but around the country as well. Uh, until then, like I said, check out BarryandArms.com. We're constantly updating the website with the latest Second Amendment news and information that you need to know about. And if you like what you see in terms of our coverage and our reporting, I would also encourage you to become a VIP member at Barrying Arms. Just use the promo code GUNRIGHTS when you go to BarryandArms.com slash subscribe, and we'll give you exclusive content you won't find anywhere else for showing your support for us. Thank you very much. Hope you have a great weekend. Be well, be safe, and be free.